Welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Going to preview the Sixers-Warriors matchup slated for later on today on Wednesday. But before I do that, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us pretty much anywhere you get your fix, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Joining me for this one from our sister site at SB Nation, Brady Klopfer. He covers the dubs for Golden State of Mind. Brady, I have to say, you have covered this team for a long time. The last two seasons, although last year was much better than coming out when the 2019-2020 pandemic year, <laughs> what has it been like for you covering the Warriors now that they're back at the top of the NBA again at 15-2? and two? It's been so much fun, Jazz, and mainly because it just feels like the team that fans were craving in those two rough years like 2019-20 was awful they've already matched their win total from that year and last season you know they had an okay record they were in the playing game it wasn't like a bad season per se but I think after those championship runs and everyone knowing how good Steph Curry is and how good Draymond Green is I think you know everyone from the fans to the people who covered the team there was like an itch that needed to be scratched because it felt like the Warriors weren't really as good as they should be. They weren't taking advantage of the opportunities they had. And, you know, there's no problem in, in covering or watching a team that sneaks into the playoffs, but it just felt like they were destined for something bigger and hadn't found a way to take advantage of it. So it's so much fun for me just that this year, it feels like they're finally taking advantage of that again. And that they're actually doing what I think they were supposed to be doing all along. Well, you're looking, I mean, obviously I had the bad luck with, with the clay injury in game six in, in the 2019 finals. And then Steph went down, um, you know, on top of that. And then obviously last year, clay uh, dealing with the Achilles injury, but you're looking at this squad compared to last season, they got Otto Porter jr. They got Gary Payton, Gary Payton jr. Is that where we're going with or Gary Payton? The second, what do you want to, what do we want to call him here, Brady? I, I, I fluctuate between Gary Payton, the second and GP two. GP2, okay. We'll GP2 go, we'll, just sounds kind of badass, right? It does. It does sound better. Okay, we'll go with that. But, I mean, they, they got some uh, added depth. They got the young guys, obviously, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Modi, and Jordan Poole's taking a step. But when you're looking at this team compared to what you saw last season, what is the biggest difference with the depth? Yeah, I mean, there's just so much more talent beyond the starting lineup. But I think more importantly, uh, the players, they have fit what the team is trying to do. Uh, I think a lot of people last year were excited for um, Kelly Oubre Jr. to come in, and it became you know pretty apparent within a few games that even though I think he's a talented player and, and he's having a good season for the Hornets, he wasn't a fit with what the Warriors were trying to do. He he didn't fit with their read and react offense. Uh, he just struggled it, and and it kind of corrupted things. And then the other players they had were the same. You know, Kent Bazemore was was probably the best of their role players, but not a great fit. Uh, Brad Wanamaker was truthfully just an awful fit and and not a very good player uh, to begin with. Jordan Poole, before his flurry at the end of the season, just wasn't there yet. It was just players who were a combination of not talented enough to be role players on a good team and players who just didn't fit. And now you look at this year, you know, the the Kelly Oubre Jr. role and the um, Brad Wanamaker role. And the James Wiseman role now that he's injured, those roles are being taken by Andre Iguodala and Otto Porter Jr., uh, Nemanja Bialica. Damian Lee has taken a step forward. Jordan Poole has taken a big step forward. Um, Juan Toscano Anderson now has a full-time role. Uh, so the depth is just absurd at this point. Like They're kind of resting players. They're kind of doing load management with the veterans like Porter and Iguodala who have injury concerns. And I think they're kind of doing it primarily just because they don't have enough minutes to go around. 
and that's without Clay Thompson and without James Wiseman. So they just, you know, they're 12 or 13 deep in terms of players that deserve to be getting NBA minutes. But most importantly, those guys who are coming off the bench are guys who actually fit what the team is trying to do. And the starters, for that matter, as well. Poole fits that the way that Oubre and, and Bazemore didn't last year. So it's just really a, a roster that's constructed to fit the offense that works with Steph Curry, the offense that Steve Kerr wants to run. Uh, it fits the team's identity, which wasn't the case last year and truthfully wasn't the case in 2019-20 either, even though we never really got to see that since Curry got injured and the season you know, went in the toilet right away. But those last two seasons, the team just wasn't constructed in a way where the depth could be optimized. And, and this year, I think it really is. Well, you're looking at at the difference, you know, from what one year makes. You mentioned, you know, adding Iggy, adding adding guys like Bielitsa, adding Otto Porter Jr., these guys that they didn't have last season and clear upgrades over over the depth pieces that you mentioned, like Bazemore and, and Brad Wanamaker. But looking at the at the Warriors overall this season, like they're the top scoring team in the league, uh, top five in three-point shooting, offensive rating, they're number one. You're looking at all these metrics like how are they so good and this is without clay thompson on the on the floor and he's coming back sometime soon and and, and you got uh steph curry you know sitting in second just behind kevin durant in in the overall scoring race but you're looking at this wh- what makes the offense so much smoother this season than it was let's say last year kind of again i, I want to disqualify two years ago because of the injuries but especially compared to last season i think you know the players they've added with the exception of Iguodala, are really good three-point shooters um, and maybe players that don't get a rep for it because they haven't had big roles. But, you know, Otto Porter Jr., I think he's shot over 40% from three every year in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, Nemanja Bialica is a very good shooter. And those are guys that, you know, they haven't had the rep because they haven't been starters. They haven't been high-volume guys who are scoring 20 points a game or whatnot. Um, but they're guys that you put them in the right role, and they're just going to make the open shots. And so then you take Curry's gravity. And it's just opening the floor for everybody. And then you surround him with people who are making the right decisions. It, it's a breath of fresh air watching Iguodala on the court, watching Porter and Bielitsa uh, and Jordan Poole with his evolution because they catch the ball and they get to work and they make the right read. And guys like Ubre a year ago, for all his talent, he would catch the ball and he either wouldn't do anything or he would do the wrong thing a lot of the time. And it just allows the defense to reset. It allows people to get back on their assignments. Those gaps that are created by Steph Curry's gravity close up. And then those shots aren't quite as open anymore. And the people shooting them aren't quite as good at making them anymore. Um, so I think it's really just the fit of, of the players understanding what they're supposed to be doing and making those decisions very quickly and then having the ability to, to make the open shots. But, you know, truthfully, I've always felt that, or have felt for the last, you know, seven or so years that you should pretty easily be able to build a very good offense around Steph Curry. Like you should be able to build a top 10 offense around Steph Curry without it taking too much effort, but you just need to find the players who are able to capitalize on that because the gravity he has leaves players open. It creates a lot of four on threes for your offense. And those are just situations that allow a team to flourish. If they have guys that are selfless, willing to make the right decisions, willing to make those decisions quickly, and then able to make open shots. Um, And those things all sound pretty simple. And in many ways they are, but there are also a shockingly large amount of NBA players that kind of 
struggle with them um, as the Warriors have seen in recent years. Um, so that to me is really the big difference. It, it's just players doing what they should do. And you put players doing what they should do next to Steph Curry, give them the ability to make a jump shot. And there's no reason why an offense shouldn't be one of the top five in the league. Yeah, looking at, I mean, I mean, the Sixers are, are kind of the same thing we're looking at with Joel Embiid, you know, even though he's missed a ton of time right now, been out this whole six game road trip as well as, well, five of the six games and, and a couple before that as well, before uh, they traveled out West, you're, you're looking at that offense too. And, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, we don't know yet right now, still questionable for Tobias Harris, still questionable for Seth Curry, still questionable for Danny Green. So it might be a really, really short-handed Sixers squad that we saw well, not surprisingly, beat the Sacramento Kings. Although I was looking at that game, Brady, and I was like, Alvin Gentry's taking over in his first game. You know, maybe the Kings will have uh, an effort against a really undermanned Sixers squad, and they still blew it. So it's just the same old Kings in, in that regard. Yeah, but, that was disappointing and yet incredibly predictable all at the same time. Oh, yeah. But I mean, you know, from a Sixers standpoint, that was a, a big win for them. I mean, you know, at least getting two wins on a six-game road trip where you're missing, you know, right now with not concluding Ben Simmons, you're missing your two best players, Seth Curry too, arguably if you want to look at him as one of the top three, but they do have Tyrese Maxey who's improved a lot. And, and looking at that matchup, if he's taken on the challenge of, of at least trying to slow down Steph and maybe Steph's guarding him, what are you looking for in, in this game between the Sixers and Warriors? And just given the fact that what we know about the Sixers being so shorthanded, do you think they have any sort of chance to beat the Warriors on this one and catching them maybe on an off night? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the NBA. I think there's always a chance of of teams catching each other on off nights. Um, you know, the Warriors were down, I think, 13 going into the fourth quarter the other day against a, a Cleveland Cavaliers team that was without Jared Allen, without Evan Mobley, without Colin Sexton, without Laurie Markkinen. Um, so, you know, it's the NBA. You overlook teams. You have a bad shooting night. Someone catches fire. I think anyone can win on any night. And and Philly keeps stringing together surprisingly good performances um, given the personnel that that isn't able to suit up at the moment. So uh, it's certainly a game that I think, you know, has the markings of a trap game for the Warriors because they do need to bring it if they want to make sure that they can actually comfortably win. Um, but as far as matchups, I mean, you hit it with with Tyrese Maxey versus Steph Curry. I think that's an incredibly fun matchup. I'm I'm a huge fan of Maxey's game. Uh, I think he's just so much fun to watch. And I think he's so talented and has such a kind of explosive ability about him while still managing to play in control, mm -hmm. which I think is a challenge for a lot of young players, especially when they're given a bigger role, like he's kind of been thrust into this year. Oh, Brady, um, he looks like he's going 100 miles an hour, but it is very much within control. It's not like, yeah. you're like what are you doing? Like sometimes, but his finishing at the rim uh, his, his ability to add like a pull-up jumper, a floater. He he's looked really, really good. Like I'm, I'm watching him as a 21 year old kid, you know, in year two now, I'm like, he has a potential to be an all-star in, in maybe year four and five, maybe even next year too. I, I fully agree. I think he could be an all-star as early as next year. Um, and he's just, I love watching players that are that age and have that talent level. Um, just seeing their evolution as they grow from their first year to their second year to their third year, uh, you know, the Warriors are seeing it right now with Jordan Poole in his third year. Um, you just see players make such a massive jump sometimes, uh, and it's so much fun. And 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 so I like getting to see those players play against a guy like Steph Curry because you know that Maxi is going to be up for the challenge. You know he's going to want to prove something, um, and he's going to take that challenge very seriously. And then on the other hand, you're going to see Steph Curry knowing that 
and wanting to make a point to the youngster the way he did, you know, a few weeks ago when he dropped 50 on Trey Young. Um, so that's going to be a fun matchup. I think kind of the, the biggest matchup, though, in terms of determining the game is going to be at the center position. Um, with Andre Drummond out there, he's, you know, a traditional center in, in the most severe sense of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a lot of things well, but he is, he is slow. He is not very mobile. He's not switchable. Uh, and the Warriors are just a very small team. You know, their, their starting center is Kevon Looney, who's 6'9". Most nights, Looney only plays 12 to 15 minutes, and they don't have another center on the roster right now with James Wiseman injured. Um, they play small for the bulk of their games. Um, sometimes that's as big as Nemanja Bialica at the five, but sometimes it's as small as Draymond Green or Juan Toscano Anderson or Otto Porter Jr., who I think was listed as a shooting guard when he entered the league, has played plenty of minutes at the five this year. Um, so I'm always intrigued by those battles. And I think that's going to kind of determine this game is, you know, can the Warriors impose their will as a small team that forces Drummond either off the court or to be a severe liability or will Drummond being so much bigger than anyone, the Warriors have such a better rebounder than anyone, the Warriors have, uh, can he stay on the court and provide something that, is able to shift some of that balance back to Philly Um, because truthfully, you know, if if Andre Drummond plays a full, you know, 34 minutes or something, he's probably going to get 30 rebounds Um, between his ability to grab rebounds and the Warriors lack of size. Like that's, that's probably what's going to happen there. So um, I assume he'll get played off the floor. Um, That might be my Warriors bias. It might be me just not being a big fan of Andre Drummond's game, but uh, that's an interesting matchup to me. I always like those, traditional centers versus teams that want to get up and down the court and play small and, and see who kind of caves first, who adjusts to the other team's game plan and, and, and style first. Brady, I want, I want to dig into a couple more questions about, about the matchup and, and get your perspective on the Sixers as a West Coast guy as well. We'll do that after a quick break here. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, we're back. I'm going to wrap things up shortly here, Brady, but want to jump into this. When you're looking at what the Sixers are at full strength, and again, I think they've Doc Rivers deserves a ton of credit for, for keeping this team engaged, uh, keeping them actually in games with, against teams that had you know, a lot more talent just in terms of uh, not overall, but in c- compared to in those particular games, because, you know, we've seen Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, 
missed time. We saw Matisse Thybulle, who to me, if he keeps up what he's doing, is going to be in the running for NBA's defensive player of the year. He's been great overall and improving on the offensive end as well. But you're looking at at what the Sixers were to you when they were sitting at eight and two. Uh, they had one six in a row before they ended up losing Embiid, who was coming off his best game of the season with 30 and 16 against the Bulls. When you're looking at it and you're keeping an eye on the Eastern Conference, a lot has been made about how good Brooklyn is. Again, still leading the conference um, overall, just in terms of record. They're only a game up on the Bulls at 13 and five. But you're, you're looking at this. Who do you think are the top teams in the East? And, and when you look at the Sixers at full strength, even without Ben Simmons, uh, how do you think they match up in the Warriors and, and against the Warriors? And do you think that the Sixers are a legitimate threat to get to the finals? I do honestly. Um, and, and part of that is that I am not as optimistic about some of the other teams in the Eastern conference as other people are. Um, I know the nets are just, have kind of been circled as the team to come out of the East, even without Kyrie Irving. And, and truthfully, I just don't buy it. Um, I, I won't really get into that because that's obviously not the, uh, the, the flavor of this podcast, but I'm, I'm not sold on the nets to be honest. And I think the bucks have a lot of um, playoff issues. Some people I think are kind of ignoring because they were able to win the championship last year and, and credit to them. But I still think they have those flaws that put them in a position last year where they were a loss away from getting eliminated and everyone assuming they were then going to have to fire Mike Budenholzer because he didn't know how to coach in the, in the playoffs and and they managed to rectify that. But I think those issues still persist. I think Miami is a very overlooked team. Um, so for me, the four in the East are, are Brooklyn, Miami, Milwaukee, and, and Philly. And for Philly, I think it's kind of what you briefly hit on earlier when, when we were talking about Steph Curry and, and you mentioned Joel Embiid and, and the impact that he has on a team when you surround him with good players and, Philly is just, they are so deep with players who are not just talented, but smart, selfless, buy into the system, have skill sets that complement each other, complement Joel Embiid, fit what Doc Rivers wants to do. And then you have Joel Embiid, who, who is an MVP caliber player. And so I think when you take an MVP caliber player and you surround him with a Curry and a Harris and a Maxi and a Thibel and a Milton and Danny Green and Andre Drummond and Korkmaz and down and down the list. So, so much depth there. I just think that's a team where the sky's the limit. Um, and Doc Rivers, I think, is kind of a polarizing coach. I think he's had some really bad years in his career. And I think he's had some really great years in his career. And I think for a lot of coaches like him, it's just a matter of finding the right team that fits. Uh, your management style, your personality style, your strengths and weaknesses from an X's and O standpoint. Um, and it certainly at the moment seems like this is a team that really fits Doc Rivers and, and what he does as a coach. And so maybe we get that version of him that did win the championship with Boston. It, everything's a good fit and that's important. Yeah. And I, I agree with you on that too. I think looking at the way Doc Rivers has coached this season. We've heard this, like Jackson Frank, who, who comes on the podcast with, with me as well. He's been saying, he's like, you know, Doc Rivers does a good job when his team has its back against the wall. And you've seen that with the Sixers, everything going on with the Ben Simmons stuff, everything going on with the, you know, the COVID protocols, everything going on with the injuries. It's almost like, again, you don't want to see any team go through it. And you, I hope no player 
contracts COVID at all. You know what I mean? Throughout the season, it's obviously probably not likely at this point. We're still dealing with that. But when, I, when I'm looking at this, I'm like, the Sixers are kind of fortunate to hopefully have this happen early in the season. And they gave themselves enough of a cushion at eight and two that they would be able to survive uh, about like this. Again, they're, they're two and six. So they're not going to act like everything is gravy, but they're, they're two and six in their last eight. But I mean, just showing the fight that they have. And as you mentioned, the depth that they have. There's been a lot of encouraging signs, but I have to, I would be remiss if I didn't get your take on everybody's favorite topic in, in Philly, with Ben Simmons. Where do you think he ends up and how do you think this is all going to play out? Oh my gosh. It's, it's so fun and fascinating and horrible and ugly all at the same time. Um, I have no idea where he ends up. Truthfully. I don't, I don't have the faintest idea. What I do think happens is that he doesn't get traded this year. Um, which I, I think is probably the minority opinion here. Um, but I think that Daryl Morey just plays hardball with it. I think he is not going to cave to an offer that he doesn't really like, at least not yet. And I think he's going to play it out, see, see if Ben Simmons folds a little bit, play a game of chicken, see what happens, um, and then get to next offseason where maybe some teams that had bad years this year are going to be a little bit more desperate or teams that, you know, have a star. Maybe that star asks out, you know, what happens if, if Carl Anthony Towns demands a trade after Minnesota has yet another horrible season, something like that. You know, I think there are always those options that come up in the league. And I think Daryl Morey is not going to cave for anything less than that yet. And he's going to bank that something will happen by next off season. And then if nothing happens, then I think he's going to have to start going into damage limitation mode um, and do one of these not very good trades that we keep seeing rumored, you know, a Jeremy Grant on a future pick or something like that, that would be not good, but better than nothing. Um, but I just think Daryl Morey needs a long time before he gets to, to that point where he's willing to do that kind of a move. And I don't think the value that they're looking for is going to be available this season. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think this is going to go longer than than shorter in terms of the, the time. But I mean, as we get closer to the deadline in February, we could see some of the teams like you're looking at the Kings, they're imploding. Maybe they're willing to make a deal in order to appease ownership there. There's so many different things that still have to play out because we're basically just a month into the season. But we'll get you out of here on this. You have one team you could pick that you ultimately think Ben Simmons is going to end up on. You get a $10 free bet. You can put it on any team you want in the NBA. Where do you think he ends up? I am going to say Portland. Okay. You think it's for Dame Lillard ultimately? I think it's for McCollum and some picks. I think Portland's going to get desperate about needing to keep Dame and needing to improve their roster in order to get him. Uh, and I think they'll send McCollum and a good load of picks. It won't be what Maury wants, but I think he's going to eventually get to a point where he realizes what he wants isn't going to come. And Philly's going to be good enough that the thought of adding CJ McCollum to the mix is going to be enticing enough. All right, there you have it. For the 900th time, we've had a take on what's going to happen with Ben Simmons on this podcast network. <laughs> I, I'm sure everybody appreciates hearing that. But Brady, uh, thanks a lot for doing this, man. Always good catching up with you. Likewise, Jazz. Thanks for having me, man.
All right, that's Brady Klopfer. He covers the Warriors for our sister site at SB Nation, goldenstateofmind.com. Uh, don't forget, before we wrap things up, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us pretty much anywhere you get your fix. Always appreciate a five-star review if you want to well, if you want to give us one, of course, but we always appreciate it, like I said. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com.